And we are live, Business and Buckets, episode 106. And whoo-wee, we got a lot to talk about after a banger in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island, UFC 280. Maybe the future most dominant fighter, Khabib 2.0, Islam Makachev. We have the Sugar Show, Aljo, so much to talk about. But before we talk... MMA. Let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. The holidays are upon us. Pretty soon the New Year's here. Summer will be here. You know, I'm about to move to Arizona. I'm excited for some summertime shine, get some sunshine, but that means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. So um, summertime will be here before you guys know it. Get your summertime shine with Fueled Supplements, Advanced Thermogenic and Feel Good Formula, Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to advance thermogenesis. It re- um, besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, you guys can stack with counterattack. Get it exclusively at fueledsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, there's going to be a lot of changes. This is the, I'm literally sitting on a chair in an empty room where the podcast setup used to be. All my stuff is in a pod on its way to Arizona. I It is Wednesday morning right now. I will be driving to Arizona on Friday. Just got a few things left to do. Clean up, box up a couple leftover items. And um, once I get to Arizona, get my house set up, it'll pretty much be time to rebrand the podcast. So lots of fun stuff, but enough about my life. You know, I just had a going away party during 280 epic weekend with the boys here in the Pacific Northwest. But before or enough about that, let's talk all the amazing things that are happening in MMA right now. So there's been some, some fights booked. There's been some interesting things going on, some rumors, so to speak. But the first one is a banger. We got Daun June versus Devin Clark happening. That's going to be fun. That should not go all three rounds. Uh, another great scrap. We got Jack Della Madalena versus Danny Roberts. Je- uh, Danny Roberts. Jack has been looking great. He's been on a tear, so we can see if it can continue. Uh, we have Mark Madsen, the previous Olympian, taking on Grant Dawson. That'll be a ton of fun. And then how about Raw Dog, man? Brandon Royval stepping in short notice for Alex Perez and fighting a very tough Amir Albazi. You gotta love what Brandon Royval's been doing the past few years. And then Patty Pimblett back on the UFC 282 card, taking on Jared Gordon. Everyone loves to see Patty Pimblett. He's, a, he's an up-and-coming star. <coughs> Excuse me. Just getting over this whatever kind of head-cold bullshit I've been dealing with. But um, Bryce Mitchell fight happening officially for UFC 282. But this time he is taking on Aliyah Topiria as, as his opponent had pulled out. Uh, but that should still be a good scrap to see Thug Nasty back in the octagon. And then we get Bobby Knuckles back. I gotta love you, a Bobby Knuckles fight. We have Robert Whitaker, Paula Costa, UFC 284, 
Perth, Australia. You already know that card is going to be savage, and I can't wait to see how that scrap goes down. I'm already thinking Whitaker, Romero, Paulo Romero. I mean, come on, let's, let's, let's get some action here. And in the rumor mill, we have Kamzat Chamaya versus Colby Covington in the works. They're looking to get this finalized as soon as possible. Can you imagine how much fun that could be? And the problem is, is these Sambo style guys, you know, we'll talk about Islam here in a few minutes, are so dominant. You want to think that Colby Covington has a chance, but it very well could be Chamayev just grabbing him, smothering him, submitting him. But um, I I'm intrigued. You know, we, we got to have something to talk about. We have Aljo and Cejudo, Henry Cejudo, Triple C, Aljamain Sterling, targeted for UFC 284 in Perth. Um, I know that this is what Dana White and the head honchos probably want, but Aljo just fought in Abu Dhabi, right? He lives in Vegas. I'm sure there might be some stipulations there. Aljo might just say, fuck it. Um, but the fact that Cejudo is potentially skipping the bantamweight line, lots of drama to be had there. Plus, we still have the hypotheticals of Marab Dwilashwili moving up in bantamweight. Aljo's sick of cutting weight. Uh, he might be, you know, wanting to move up to featherweight sooner than later. And total bummer, we have Bo Nickel out of the UFC 282 card due to injury. Um, you know, the hype train, all the momentum, you know, it kind of makes you realize nobody's invincible. Uh, it makes me wonder the seriousness of the injury because, you know, as a collegiate Olympian-level wrestler, they, they people aren't usually pulling out unless it's something pretty dramatic. So interested to see what, what actually happened there. But bummer, as that would have been fun to see him sooner than later. It'll probably be early next year now. Bantamweight Randy Costa released from the UFC roster. Um, a kid with a ton of potential. Hadn't really been able to string together a couple of wins. I'm sure he'll go try to fight in uh, some other promotions and find his way back on the UFC roster. But Bantamweight is a stacked weight class, and it's not easy for anybody. It just shows you the level of competition. Bobby Green removed from the UFC roster. People are like, oh, no, Bobby Green's out. No, that's not the case. He's technically being released amid his suspension, but there is no, um, you know, expectation that he'll be kicked off the roster and not be fighting in the UFC. And then outside of UFC 280, we also had the road to the UFC semifinals where they had three different weight classes, maybe four weight classes, all doing a bracketed affair where the winners get to go onto the UFC roster. Uh, we had Jiang Yiang Li defeating Liu Kai by knockout with the right hand in 42 seconds in round one. We had Rinya Nakamira uh, defeating Shohei Nose by knockout at the 222 mark um, in round one. So two round one knockouts right away. Hyunsung Park defeating Tapnoi Kiram by submission, rear naked choke in round one. So that's three round one um, finishes. Anshul Jubilee defeating um, Kiang Po Kim by split decision. So there, there was one decision here. And then Samdar Muradov beating GN Sakira by submission, rear naked choke at four, the 459 mark. So great finishes. You can watch them on Fight Pass if you didn't get have a chance because they were at so crazy hours in uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, and the championship is scheduled for January 2023. I have not honestly tuned into those, but it's a cool idea. 
I will be watching the championship um, events or maybe even tuning in to Fight Pass because it looks like there was some action that went down for this right on the heels of UFC 280. <coughs> Outside the UFC, this is pretty sweet news. A Bellator versus R Risen event happening in New Year's Eve at in the Risen Ring in Satama, Japan. And there is going to be several matchups for Bellator and Risen expected to be confirmed on a press conference in Tokyo. Um, some rumored fighters are Patricio Ferreri. So we got Pitbull, AJ McKee, Juan Archuleta, and Koji Horiguchi for Bellator. Um, I was planning on doing this yesterday, but the scripts took a while because we have so much action to talk about. I didn't get to it with all the shit I have in the move until today. Let's see if uh, let's see if the news has been broke on this seven hours ago. The matchups are set in stone. So let's see. AJ McKee taking on Roberto D'Souza, the lightweight champion. He's 14 and one. That's going to be the headliner. Uh, Pitbull will be taking on Risen featherweight champ Kleber Koki in the co-main event. We have Kaigo Horaguchi taking on Hirosama Oakubu, um, which will mark their third fight. Uh, Horaguchi defeated him twice, once by submission and then second by unanimous decision. So this will be a you know a lopsided three-peat, so to speak. And then we have Juan Harchuleta taking on South Korean uh, Kim Soo Chul, which will be um, uh, former Bellator champ Juan Archuleta in action. But I think that's a great idea. You know, they, they used to do the trade. Uh, they did the trade with uh, Demetrius to one championship. I feel like these promotions need to banter a little bit, mix up some fights, do some stuff to keep the fans intrigued if they want to compete with any kind of ratings or even somebody like myself breaking the shit down uh, compared to the UFC because here's the UFC, here's everybody else. But this type of stuff makes me want to tune in and see what's happening. And then Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva this Saturday on Showtime pay-per-view. But supposedly there is a rumor that the loss or the, the Phoenix or Arizona commission is looking into Anderson Silva getting knocked out during sparring, which would be brutal because, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he wanted to be able to fight. Uh, that would be brutal for Jake Paul and all these things that he's going to be booked. And I really do want to see this go down. I want to see what Jake Paul can do against, you know, an older but still savvy Anderson Silva. So to be determined, I'm sure we'll know by later today or tomorrow when this comes out, what the, what the verdict is. But let's talk UFC 280. I went 7-5 and five in my picks on this card. Um, I took a lot of dogs. I took a lot of bets on the dogs. I'm chasing the odds. It's what you got to do to win the money. Um, this didn't necessarily hit them all, but I'm happy with the way the card went out and, uh, I, I had fun. I mean, it was a great card from top to bottom and obviously you get the sugar show with the victory. Your boy is stoked. Um, a fight we did not talk about was Abubakar Nurmagomedov in the prelims getting the dub. That was a great win by him. Hard fought battle. He had adversity in round one. He actually got taken down, which you don't usually see from a Nurmagomedov. Uh, but he was able to battle back and get the unanimous decision. In the prelims, we had Carol Hosa with a, a majority decision over Lena Landsberg. 
And I assumed a lot of this fight would be up against the cage. That's what Lena's last few fights have looked like, that we would see some grappling and that the elbow queen would showcase some nasty elbows. Um, but we didn't get to see a lot from Lena as Hosa really took advantage with her grappling, uh, which was funny as she had gotten out grappled in her last fight against Sarah McMahon. But in round one, Lena was able to rock Carol pretty early. And I, I think that's what made Carol want to want to stick to the grappling game plan. She had her up against the cage, but Hosa was able to do like a hip toss takedown, control the round with some ground and pound heading into round two. And right away, game plan, let, let's, let's get the takedown again. She immediately got the fight to the ground and controlled Landsberg. And at the end of the round, Hosa landed an illegal knee, which ended up being a point reduction, which led to the majority decision. And it was... You know, Lena up against the cage, the knee was down. Hosa went up right for the knee. Um, you know, I don't think it was ill attempt by any means, uh, but that was just a situation at hand. Uh, Lena took a nasty shot from the knee. You know, most women would have been probably damn near out of the fight, but she, she wanted to continue. She wanted to finish the fight. So that was great. Um, you know, first card of the day. Uh, statistically, or well, round three, it was a striking battle. I mean, both women were tired. Hosa really wanted the finish, so she kept it on her feet, and Lena gave her her best effort forward. Great way to start Abu Dhabi. Great way to start the stacked card. When we look at the stats, Carol had 160 total and 54 significant strikes with three takedowns, although she had six attempts, so 50%, not bad. And Lena had 100 total strikes, so obviously... Carol with that ground and pound really outstruck her and 36 significant strikes with the knockdown that she had. Now Lena extends her losing streak to three. She stays at number 12 in the rankings. She hasn't won since September of 2019. And honestly, she may be on her way to retirement. I didn't hear the post-fight press conference to, or the post-fight interview if they had one to see really what the verdict is, where she feels. Obviously, she loves to fight. And, you know, she's in her 40s. She's still scrapping and still looking tough and then carol starts a new winning streak she is one and one this year in 2022 and she stays at number nine in the rankings so what's next well i think hosa versus Pani kianzad uh who just fought lena recently would be a fun scrap and the fight to make and if lena fights again uh maybe julija stolarenko uh, that would make sense, but uh, we'll, we'll see probably in the next few weeks what the Elbow Queen plans on doing. All right, moving on, we had Muhammad Mokayev with a third round submission over Malcolm Gordon. And uh, this fight started out as a scrap, man. We had some big time strikes being thrown, but Mokayev, after taking a decent shot, Went straight for the takedown, right? Gordon landed a big one. Mokayev said, all right, enough of that. Let me go to the bread and butter. Got the takedown. And uh, I, I thought, you know, went, you know, he definitely controlled Gordon, which I'm sure was his game plan. But Gordon was able to keep his hips going, was keeping separation, was looking for submission windows. And, uh, you know, Gordon's, you know, he's a vet. He, he has good jujitsu skills. And I was interested to see how that would play out but Mikhaev was able to smother him for the rest of the round. In round two, it was all wrestling. Uh, Gordon was able to somehow get a reversal on Mokayev, was able to get on top, which made things interesting. We haven't seen that uh, in a fighter against Mokayev. 
and with about a minute left, had a serious submission attempt from the bottom, uh, but Mokaev was able to survive the round. Round three, again, no surprise, Mokaev with a quick takedown, but Gordon got out, and he was able to slam Muhammad um, on, on, on the octagon and had three minutes to do work on top. But Mokayev kept himself in full guard. He was able to have his defensive jiu-jitsu of himself. And he was able to get another takedown. So great defense by Mokayev. Um, you know, he, he really battled there. It was interesting to see because, again, you know, we haven't really seen that from him. We haven't seen him face that kind of adversity. And like your boy said, this is a lot better fight than what the odds were, were leading on. Um, obviously, Mokayev, though, on the ground, up against the cage, Got in a deep arm bar up against the cage with a minute left. Got the submission like he said he would, although he said he was going to finish him in the first round. He even admitted he underestimated him. You know, he, he, he's a skilled fighter who's been through pretty much every situation. But either way, the, you know, the phenom of Mokayev in the flyweight keeps trucking on. Statistically, Mokayev landed 119 total and 21 significant strikes with a submission attempt and six takedowns. In seven attempts, so it's not like Gordon was shucking the takedown. He was pretty much getting them at will. While Malcolm landed 38 total and 17 significant strikes with the reversal on the submission attempt. So volume clearly outdone. Uh, Mokaya was just kind of smothering typical Dagestani style. So Muhammad stays undefeated. He moves to 3-0 in the UFC. He enters the rankings at, at such a young age at number 15. Uh, Malcolm now has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 1-1 one one this year in 2022. So what's next for Mr. Makayev? Well, I think it's the time for boosted competition. He's been calling for Roy Vall. Roy Vall's taking that fight short notice. He wants to stay active. I think the fight for me to make is Makayev versus Tim Elliott. That would be another veteran, proven fighter. Good step up in the rankings of competition. He's not booked. And um, I'm pretty intrigued by that fight, I will be honest. Where for Gordon, Carlos Hernandez, that would be a scrap. Either way, everyone's look excited to see what Makayev can do. This was his first battle of adversity. He even had some weight cutting issues as he was sick the week of the fight. Um, so, it, you know, it's fun to see these phenoms and, and, and their whole journey here. And Makayev's definitely on his way. Then we had Armin Petrosian with a unanimous decision over AJ Dobson. And this fight was a back and forth kickboxing battle, man. I thought I was actually more impressed by Dobson being able to hang in this fight and have his own moments through three rounds than I was with Armin striking. I thought Armin was going to show he was leaps and bounds the better striker. And I'm not really sure who deserves the credit there, to be honest. I mean, obviously Armin won. But Dobson showed out, man. I mean, Armin's tough. He beat RoboCop. You know, he got rest out-wrestled by Kyle, but, you know, he's a tough son bitch. And after round one, Dobson stopped giving Armin takedown looks and stopped trying to wrestle Petrosian. He, he gave him some looks, which makes a kickboxer think about it. He can't quite let loose. And I think that wasn't a very great decision by Dobson. And, you know, there's a lot that could play into that just as an outsider. You know, you got to stick with the wrestling, at least fake it, keep them thinking about it. And Armin opened up, man. Rounds two and three, he wasn't having to defend the wrestling. He was opening up big kicks, body kicks, head kicks, and uh, really started flowing. From a statistical standpoint, Armin landed 
118 total and significant strikes. He was 0-1 on his own takedown attempts. I don't think it was much of a takedown attempt. While Dobson landed 64 total and 58 significant strikes with three takedowns. He was 3-for-3. Three three. So he had success. It was a lot earlier in the fight. You would have think he would have lent to it. But sometimes those takedowns, especially Armin being able to get back up, usually you want to be able to hold that guy down when that's not a strong suit. I could have tired out Dobson as well. So again, lots of things that could go into it, but you would have liked to see it more. And uh, I can't remember what the corner was saying, but I would have been asking for it. So Armin starts a new winning streak. He is 3-1 in the UFC. Pretty impressive resume thus far. While AJ is on a two-fight losing streak, he is 1-2 in the UFC. But uh, he, he definitely earned some, some, some brownie points for me in this fight. I would love to see Armin versus Mahmoud Muradov, who just lost on this card. I think that would be a scrap. And for Dobson, I could see Dustin Stoltzfus. Either way, excited to see Superman back in the octagon. <clears throat> All right. Moving on. We had Nikita Krylov with unanimous decision over Vulcan Ozdemir. This was the first fight that really screwed up all my bets as I <coughs> excuse me. Ah. As I had Rosa, Mokayev, and Petrosian winning. I really thought Ozdemir was gonna get the job done here. And this fight was all about the miner living up to his nickname. He was outworking, out cardio and Vulcan. He wanted it more, and he was gonna put him into deep waters to get the dub. I thought he was more aggressive. He threw more volume. He wrestled away at Ozdemir's gas tank. Just, you know, let me keep wrestling, let me keep wrestling, let me keep tiring this guy out and not letting him throw bombs at me, especially in rounds two and three. Um, I really did think watching this, you know, I didn't think this in part, you know, before the fight, but Vulcan's only chance was to find a way to finish Nikita in round one because he was not going to let him throw with that, you know, hard fucking firepower and he wanted him to throw that, gas him out, and, and really put the, put, the, put the gas on in rounds two and three. And that's how it played out. <coughs> um, he was kind of a one-trick pony, Ozdemir. And, um, you know, Nakota just showed, Nikita showed how well-rounded he is. And uh, um, I thought this was one of his better performances of late. Statistically, Krylov landed 171 total and 57 significant strikes with a submission attempt uh, and seven takedowns, although 20 attempts, compared to Vulcan's 108 total and 42 significant strikes with a takedown of his own. You know, these 20 attempts, some of them weren't like full attempts. You know, he did, Vulcan did defend some of them. He was able to get up. He was able to get against the cage. I was impressed, but it completely gassed him out. And then obviously Krylov landed more of the volume as Vulcan could barely throw punches, late round two, late round three, big loopy punches. So Vulcan starts a new losing streak. He goes to one and one this year in 2022. He does move down two spots in the rankings to number 10. Nikita extends his winning streak to two, going two and one this year and moves up two spots in the rankings to number eight. So what's next? Well, I'd love to see Krylov take on Anthony Smith. What a fucking scrap that would be. And for Ozdemir, he could square up against Jimmy Crute. Could you imagine Crute and Ozdemir throwing bombs at each other? Those are the fights for me. 
Either way, I'm tuning in. Next time, Ozdemir and Krylov grace the octagon. Then wrapping up the final prelim fights. This was just the prelims. I mean, this card was fucking stacked and it delivered. Uh, KL Baralho with a unanimous decision over Mahmoud Muradov. And this was a fucking scrap, man. It was interesting as KL was able to win the fight without having to give a get a shit ton of fucking takedowns. You know, usually he's getting five plus takedowns. He's wearing on the fighter. But Muradov put up a great fight. He was even able to showcase his wrestling against Brawlho. And I think KL won the fight by having more control time and submission attempts, being more active there. Uh, but Muradov was able to ha- handle his own and showed that Brawlho um, isn't invincible when it comes to the grappling and wrestling. Statistically, Brawlho landed 57 total and 19 significant strikes with two submission attempts, three reversals, and a takedown, um, only in two attempts, so he went 50, 50%. While Muradov landed 76 total, so actually higher strikes, 14 significant, so less significant, had a reversal of his own and went two for two on takedowns. So both guys wanted to take each other down. They were able to do it. They respected each other's games, but Brawlho was on top more. Even when Muradov got the takedown, he was able to reverse, get it going, and he was throwing up a lot more submission attempts. Um, KL extends his impressive winning streak now to five, a very good five, while Muradov, Muradov is on a two-fight losing streak. Tough break for him, but he's a he, he's going to be back, and he's going to come out with a vengeance. <coughs> <coughs> Now, um, what's next for these gentlemen? I would love, love to see Baralho versus Brendan Allen. I mean, what a scrap that could be. And for Muradov, how about Chitty Nakwani? I mean, those fights. Sheesh. That, I mean, for fans, Chitty, Muradov, Baralho, Brendan Allen, Sean Shelby, Dana White, the, 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 the squad. Let, let, let's make those fights happen for fight fans. All right, in the prelim headliner, we had Bilal, remember the name, put some respect on my name is what he said, with a second round TKO over Sean Brady, a performance of the night, man. And yeah, uh, I, pick, I picked Brady. I picked the, I was going Philly strong, but what a round the first round was. You know, people filling up for the main card, Amping up the fans, amping up the arena. And I'm not sure when Bilal started working with Khabib and and squad, but I keep getting more and more impressed with Bilal's striking ability. I thought he literally looked outclassed in Leon Edwards' fight. He's come back. He's really focused on it. And obviously training with Khabib's camp worked because Sean Brady's that guy. He's a tough motherfucker. We already know Bilal can grapple. We already know how durable he is. But he is growing to be the full package. And he wants people to remember the name. I'm starting to remember the name. I've always remembered the name. But he's definitely, he's getting up there in the rankings for me. The one thing in this fight is you don't really see judges call a fight while a fighter is standing next, you know, standing up against the cage, still covering himself up. Although he was getting shots and was kind of looking out of it, he was still up and standing. And it was this close to the end of round two. I personally would have liked to see 
uh, them allow Brady to go to the next round. Brady was getting worked, though. He looked completely gassed. He looked completely out of it. What would have round three brought? Probably Bilal getting a quick finish. So, you know, it is what it is. The, the judges probably made the right, or the, the referee probably made the right decision. I would have liked to seen Brady get a chance in round three. Obviously, I had him on some bets and stuff, but still, I mean, th these guys were really giving it all they had. Again, I really do think Bilal is becoming the full package. I do think he is legit. I mean, his last few wins, Sean Brady, Vicente Luque, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. That's very impressive. Some very, very high-skilled fighters there. But he is, is he as good as Gilbert Burns, Kamzat Chemaev, Colby Covington? We already know Edwards is better. Kamara Usman? I just don't think so. I think there's like that cream of the crop. He's close, and then the next group of fighters. But what do I know, right? I've been picking against Bilal, and he's been whooping my fucking ass. Um, I do have my doubts, but I'm excited to see who they book him up against. Um, you know, he doesn't bring in a ton of ratings. He doesn't bring in the social media presence that a lot of guys do. do. So he's going to have to probably get a couple more wins to even have a shot at the title because the, top uh, the top's brutal. When we, when we look at the stats in this fight, Bilal landed 80 total and significant strikes compared to Brady's 58 total and significant. He was 0 for 5 in takedown attempts. Bilal extends his winning streak to 4 and moves up to number 4, while Brady suffers his first loss and stays at number 8 in the rankings. I just can't believe that Brady really couldn't get it, you know... Did Brady really try to get the takedowns? I mean, he gave a couple good attempts there. The rest were like, I'm fucked up. Let me try to do something. But I'm surprised that neither man really got a takedown and looked to keep it to the ground. And I just can't believe Brady was able to get worked like that in the striking. Um, either way, this was, this was a ton of fun. This shit set the stage for the main card. So what's next? Well, Bilal just passed Gilbert Burns. That's the fight for me. Honestly, I think stylistically that's fucking phenomenal for fight fans. Uh, but they're talking about the Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns, which would be a high seller. I don't think, I think Burns would wax Masvidal, honestly. Um, but if it is Masvidal Burns, um, I think Bilal will be waiting around for a while, to be honest. I don't think he's going to want to fight another like 10th ranked fighter, 11th ranked fighter, and that would have to be the case. While Sean, I think Sean versus Vicente Luque wouldn't be fucking bonkers and stylistically would be a banger but we'll see let's see what the matchmakers do again we aren't even on the main card yet i mean that shit was insane my biggest regret is i was at a friend's house because all my tvs and shit are shipped out um i didn't buy the card on my espn account so i can't go watch replays i think i have to wait until like november 8th or something like that because I would love to rewatch the O'Malley fight, that fight, this Minot fight, a bunch of fights. But starting off on the main card, we got Manon Fierro with a unanimous decision over Caitlin Chukagian. Chukagi, and uh, this was another fight. It's, it's really as close as it gets. You know, I, I was a little buzzed up by this point, And, you know, I, I was talking shit, looking back and forth between, I think, the Oklahoma State College game. Me and my friends put some shots. I took the Oak State on the point spread. They ended up winning, so that was nice. Um, 
But I thought from a, a distance, Caitlin had won the fight. But that that probably was not the case, to be honest. I haven't been able to rewatch it, but just looking at specifics, definitely probably wasn't. But the way Caitlin typically wins is keeping her opponents at range and distance. She wins with volumes and she steals the rounds. She's a longer fighter in this fight, but even though she was, Manone was able to beat her at her own game. I mean, she was able to get the volume. She was able to to, to push the, the center of the octagon, and she even got a takedown. <coughs> Firo was able to land the bigger shots in round one and three for sure. Um, I thought they were close, but Manone had the bigger moments. I don't think anything blew me away by Manone here, but we got to remember, she's fighting a very, very good Shukagian that no one else in the division could beat but the bullet. Valentina Shevchenko. So, it just shows what class, right? We talked about the class and and, uh, Gilbert Burns and all those guys. It's pretty much Valentina, but then you have Manon, Chukagian, probably then the rest of the division. Maybe Andrade if she's considered in that weight class. Statistically, Caitlin landed 76 total and significant strikes compared to Manon's 99 total, 98 of those significant with the one takedown and two attempts. So Caitlin has her four fight winning streak come to an end. She starts a new losing streak and drops two spots in the rankings to number three. While Manone extends her winning streak to 10 and moves up five spots to the number one contender. A couple of big movements to number one contenders this weekend. Now, for the next booking here, if Valentina doesn't get the rematch against Amanda Nunez, which to me is the fight to make, easily then it's Manon versus Valentina for the title. Flyweight championship. Uh, I don't know who else you'd put there. Um, If she does fight Nunez, though, I think Firo versus Santos for the number one eliminator, the real number one contender, that would be the fight to make. Talia, you know, scrapped against Valentina. Let's see who wins that can gets to deserve fight, to to fight Valentina no matter what happens with uh, the Nunez fight. And for Chukagian, she has the most. She has um, fought most of the women in the division. Besides Santos, so if it's not the number one battle, maybe Chukagian Santos that could be option. If that's not the option because Santos fights Minone, how about Andrade versus Chukagian? I mean, that's still a fucking scrap. Andrade is scary, man. And then a couple of fights I got right. The dogs coming to eat. Could have just parlayed these two and made some fat fucking bread. But anyways, we had Benil Dariush with the unanimous decision over Mateusz Gamrot. And uh, coming into this fight, I thought Dariush clearly had the better striking ability. And he has sneaky grappling. So I thought he was going to easily hang with Gamrot and find a way to victory. And that was exactly the case in this one. I mean, Gamrot was aggressive. He was trying to get the takedowns. But Dariush, I mean, he had an amazing defense. He was up against the cage. He was shedding them. He was getting over unders. And he found his shots on top, man. I mean, on the feet, he was really smooth. He was outclassing Gamrot. And in round three, he really took control. I mean... As Mateusz started to fade from all that wrestling attempts, which 
If you're a wrestler, you're really confident in your skill. You're going, you're going, and you can't get it. Your, your stamina tank is just decreasing. So as he started to fade, boom! Dariush with the big-ass knockdown, the big shot, and that was the highlight of the fight. I mean, Dariush looks great, man. Uh, he's in his prime, but the problem is, is he's getting, like I said, that Tony Ferguson treatment. Volkanovski is going to skip the lightweight line, which is already crowded at the top. And he's going to have to fight at least one more time, but maybe even twice for a title shot. I mean, total bummer for this guy. He, you know, as a as a logical fight fan, he's probably never going to get that opportunity. And his skill is there, and he deserves the opportunity. But that, you know, it is what it is, man. It really is what it is. Statistically, Dariush landed 67 total and 59 significant strikes with the knockdown. Compared to Gamrot's 38 total and 33 significant, so clearly a lot more volume there, a lot more significant strikes. And Gamrot did get four takedowns, didn't get to keep um, Dariush down very much, but 19 attempts. You know, that's probably a, a solid 12 attempts with some shitty ones, but still, how about fucking Dariush? You got to put some respect on that man's name. Now, Dariush extends his winning streak to eight he has not lost since very early in 2018. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number four. While Gamrot has his four-fight winning streak come to an end, he moves up one spot in the rankings to number eight. Now, since Volk gets the title shot for Islam, I would love to see him versus Oliveira. While I'd love to see Gamrot versus uh, Jalen Turner or Justin Gaethje. Um, Islam Oliveira, or not Islam Oliveira, um, Dariush Oliveira would be fucking bonkers. And then Gamrot Turner, definitely a clash of styles. But uh, Gamrot, Justin Gaethje. I mean, people think highly of Gamrot, so I'm assuming they're going to keep giving him stiff competition. And now we get to the main fight of the night. The Sugar Show with a split decision over Pewter Jan. And uh, clearly fight of the night here. I mean, this was a fucking scrap. You love to see Sugar Show on the biggest stage of his career, right before his 28th birthday, to get the fucking job done. Now, there's a lot to talk about in this fight. We couldn't just really enjoy the war that happened. Um, the fight of the night had to be a robbery. It had to be, you know, Sean didn't deserve this, Sean didn't deserve that. So let's break it down into a few phases of the fight that transpired. I scored O'Malley in round one. Very close, but volume and significant strike advantage. Round two, Jan pretty much had control time the entire fight, had a big shot, so I would score round two to Jan. And round three was so damn close. Um, but because although Jan had the takedown and control time and Sugar had more strikes landed and more damage delivering shots, this is what caused the, you know, what caused the craziness. The thing that has caused more chaos in the UFC for me as a fan, and I'm sure for a lot of other diehards, is really what the scoring has done is changed in the judges, but it hasn't been announced of what the scoring changes are. It's just the way the judges are actually scoring the fights. From what I know, there's never been an announcement of this, of scoring changes, but the UFC is round-based, right? Whoever wins the most rounds out of three or five is the one who wins the fight. That is why it's an odd-based round system so that there's no ties. And if someone lands more damage or has bigger moments in the fight, 
It doesn't mean they win based on the scoring rules today, right? Uh, a guy like Cheeto Vera could get waxed in a five-round event for four rounds, destroy someone in round five, doesn't mean that Cheeto Vera won the fight. Now, in my opinion, the scoring is now who has the most damage and strikes per round and an overall like equation. Let's use round three for an example. Pewter got a takedown. He had control time. He was the aggressor and controlled the octagon, but Shine landed more strikes and landed huge moments of the fight. And most of the judges gave that round to Sean. Sean ends up winning the fight. Now, let me get this straight. This was not a robbery by any means. If we go by hypotheticals, who won the fight? Look at them. At the end of the day, if we went to school and said who won the fight, we would say that Sean O'Malley won the fight. Not that Pewter Jan got robbed, this and that. So the problem is, is what the actual scoring rules and things are that abide by the UFC to what's displaying. My theory is they don't give takedowns and control time as much value unless you are very active once you get on the, on the, the control with ground and pound, unless you're throwing up submission attempts, which Sean really wasn't. He was trying to keep Sean down. Sean was able to get his way back up, which was awesome and very impressive because we have not seen that from Sean's game in person. We know he trains with studs like Tranquillo. He has Tim, who's a grappling coach, but we've never had to see it against high-level competition. We haven't seen this in many fights this year. The first fight that comes to my mind is Rob Font versus Marlon Vera. Look at the amount of volume. Look at the aggressor. Rob was coming forward. Rob was landing more strikes. But when Cheeto threw, Cheeto landed and his face got you know fucked up from that. And Marlon easily got the, the decision. But if we're actually using the USC scoring, Rob Font had landed more volume. He was controlling the octagon, those types of things. So this is where the UFC is just getting yucky. Fought more and more rounds in that fight, in my opinion. Um, you could even think Volkanovski versus Holloway too as well. Volkanovski was controlling the octagon. He was um, um, controlling Holloway. He was able to do things to steal the victory. Although um, Max had more volume, Volkanovski's leg kicks and his uh, shots had a lot more damage delivered. So they ended up giving Volkanovski that, that fight. So I think the way the UFC has evolved is striking's better. People are landing serious damaging shots. It used to just be the big guys and heavyweight and light heavyweight knocking each other out. And then in the, the smaller weights, like lightweight, like bantamweight, you had a classic grappler versus striker. And they gave grappling a lot more of a scoring advantage at that time. Now, if you just take down and wrestle, it messes up ratings. All these new fucking woke UFC fans hate it. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pay to watch wrestling today. It's the fucking UFC. It's mixed martial arts. And one of the most dominant martial arts is wrestling, combat sambo, sambo, you know, so on and so forth of all the different grappling styles. So this is what has caused all this fucking confusion in the UFC, in the scoring. And then we get people saying he got robbed, this and that. Now, I do think that Peter Jan, the way the rules work today, should have won the fight. He didn't. It was a close fight. I don't think it's that, that much of a deal. Marlon Vera, Rob Font, they gave it to Cheeto. I didn't think it was that drastic of a situation. Max Holloway, Volkanovski too. They gave it to Volkanovski. You know, it is what it is. They're so close that it doesn't matter. But the way the scoring is, the way the sport is involved, the way the striking is going today, they are just not crediting wrestling. And I'm sure that comes from the heads of the UFC 
you know, this is what's going on, but they need to have more definitive ruling and judging and scoring standards so that us as fans and, and, and the fighters who don't make enough money in the first place have to put their life on the line. They need to know what they're going for and how to win fights because if you win a fight, you get paid more. If you win a fight, your career is longer. I mean, there's so many reasons for this. And I think the next few years, things are going to get interesting. And, and, and we need to have clarity here. We really do. Enough of that shit, though. As a massive Sugar Show fan, I honestly, in my non-biased podcasting MMA analyst mind, didn't think he was going to be able to get a win in this manner. I thought he was going to have to avoid takedowns in general. He was going to have to keep Yon at range with those teep kicks, those side kicks, those front kicks to the legs, long jabs, lots of action, so that Yan wasn't going to be able to get in range. Well, Yan was able to get, and obviously that's how you win, right? Outscore him in those three rounds, you avoid damage, you avoid takedowns, you avoid Yan getting in your range. Not only did that happen to a point, he didn't do it the whole fight, we got to see him get taken down, battle, get back up on multiple occasions, not once, not twice, multiple times, and even got a takedown of his own. And they didn't officially score the takedown, but hey, that was a fucking takedown. Pewter's knees were on the ground. He went around, got his back. It barely lasted, but holy shit, we got to see it. Now, what I really enjoyed is we've never seen Sean take a shot like he did, battle through it, find a way, go through the deep adversity, and, and continue to, to fight. Um, I mean, when Sean got rocked, he is laying on Ian, just trying to get his life together. Like, holy shit. He was able to keep going and land some huge shots, land the knee, land big shots. I mean, it was fight of the night for a reason. But let's state the obvious here. Sean landed bigger shots. I would debate that Jan landed one big shot. Sean had the knee, the nasty knee, the big left. He had some big kicks, high and body. And Jan had the one big shot. Besides that, he had some takedowns. He had some control time and was on top. So again, in fight worlds, if we went anywhere, no judges, no scoring, put them together, I would assume 99% of the people would say Sean won that fight. The way the scoring works, you got to respect wrestling. It's part of the martial arts, but they did not score it that way. O'Malley is the winner. I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Obviously, as a biased Sugar Sean fan, I'm fucking hyped because he should be fighting for the title. And that's an old another can of worms that will open up. But to be honest, Saturday afternoon, my going away weekend in the Pacific Northwest, some of my best friends watching that fight together was a memory I'll never forget. I mean, it was so much fun to, and it was so great to see that Sean could hang with the world-class talent in this division, debatably the best division in all of UFC. And uh, I thought he delivered more than people expected against the best of the division. And although Jan is you know, known to be a wrestling stud, um, let's say someone like the potential Aljo fight, I believe would be a tougher fight because I would assume Aljo knows that Sean's a better striker. He would go for the takedown and he's going to look to control Sean, which Aljo's a lot better at controlling people being on top than what Jan is. And that's where things will get interesting. Can Sean really continue to battle for multiple minutes, having to throw submission attempts, having to avoid submissions from the guy on top? Those are the things that are unknown. I am pretty confident he could do that based on, on his training camps, the way he prepares, 
everything he does. Um, but that wouldn't be as easy for Sean to get back up with a high, high-level grappler. But Sean, with his big shots, can learn how to, to avoid those takedowns, piece people up. He's going to be a, a champion, whether you guys want him to or not. He has the talent. He's the full fucking package. And the Sugar Show was on full display. Now, I think you could debate even today. O'Malley is the, is the best striker in the division. And he's younger than, pretty much way younger than most of the top level talent in the division besides Marlon Vera. He just turned 28. He's got two years on Corey Sanhagen. Everyone else is 33, TJ 38, Dominic Cruz, all these guys a lot older than him. We're starting to see it get, you know, this new breed, which O'Malley is, is coming in, especially into the bantamweight division and, and causing waves. And we're going to start to see those guys go up in the rankings and the older guys fall out. But O'Malley is going to be a problem for a long time. And uh, I, I can't wait to see his journey be paved. Now, statistically, Jan landed, landed 97 total and 58 significant strikes with six takedowns and 13 attempts. So pretty solid. Um, while Sean landed 91 total, so six less strikes, but 84 of them significant. So we had damn near 30 more significant strikes. Um, you know, technically they didn't give him a takedown. I'm scoring him the takedown. Um, so again, strike wise fighting numbers, he had it, but that doesn't put into together control time and, and how Jan was able to control the octagon. So that's what made this a little bit of a hairy situation, but no robbery either way by any means. So O'Malley is now on a four fight winning streak, even though I really don't believe he's lost a fight. We had the no contest accidental eye poke against Pedro. I thought he was on his way to win that fight. You have the Marlon Vera fight where his leg got fucked up. I thought he was piecing up Marlon through most of that fight, but we'll never know. I'm sure we'll see him fight Marlon again. So even if he has lost a fight, we can see the revenge opportunity here. But now he moves up to the number one contender spot, which is 10 spots more up in the rankings. While Jan extends his losing streak to two, he drops one spot to number two in the rankings. And now there's drama on the internet that Jan might leave the UFC, this and that. I highly doubt that happens. I would not look into it too much. The one thing I will get on my ch off my chest before I say is what's next is there's a lot of mainstream media, just like the world we live in. There's Fox News or CNN. There's those types of versions of media in that world of MMA and UFC that will make us fans believe in narratives that are totally bullshit, but a lot of the time they're trying to sell fights or build up a fighter that the UFC wants because it makes what? It makes fucking money. So... The reason I enjoy doing podcasting and I love breaking down sports, you know, I'm transferring to MMA only, we're MMA only today, but rebranding. I used to do NFL, I used to do NBA, I used to do MLB. I like to watch the sports, make my own opinion, get it off my chest by talking to you guys. You guys enjoy it and you get to hear something that's not controlled by the mainstream narrative, right? CNN and Fox News isn't telling you, brainwashing you, telling you this, right? That's like ESPN. Come on, let's be honest. Does anyone at ESPN, majority besides Daniel Cormier, maybe a little bit of Ryan Clark, Ryan Clark's more of a casual fan of my book, knows what the fuck is going on in MMA and UFC? Absolutely not, right? But they're putting all these narratives out there. Connor's the best, Connor's the best, this and that, this and that. Like, we get so swayed as fight fans by the mainstream media 
make sure you're tuning in. You know where the, where these, um, you know, I guess sports takes or breakdowns or thought presses are coming from because I think you'll learn a lot more and you'll, you'll be able to have more of an unbiased output by tuning into them versus the mainstream media that really doesn't know much, but they're doing it because there's money involved or there'd be, you know, they're like puppets being told what to do. <clears throat> Read into that all you will. I hate politics. I hate getting into this shit. I try to avoid it. I make sports my politics and I make my own decisions. I don't have anyone tell me what to say, how to say it. That's why we have some fun shit going on on business and buckets. I almost told you the new name of my podcast, but I can't because I don't want no one to fucking steal it. You know, you know what I mean? Anyways, we're having a good chat today. I fucking love it. Um, What's next? What is next for these motherfuckers? Well, sadly, it's rumored that Henry Cejudo, Triple C, is going to get the shot at Aljo, which doesn't bother me. I think Henry Cejudo deserves it more than anyone. He, you know, he's a guy that mainstream media will make you want to hate. Is he cringy? Yes. But is he a fucking Olympic champion? Yes. Has he beat TJ Dillashaw? Has he beat some of the best fighters, Demetrius Johnson? Absolutely. How can you not root for those types of stories? I don't think it's terrible. But the fact that Dana White, on record, said the winner of Sean O'Malley and Pewter Jan will fight for the Bantamweight Championship. And now it might not be the case. So that's the shit that I'm talking about. That's the shit that bothers me a little bit. But let's say Cejudo does fight Aljo. I'm going to say now is the perfect time for Marlon Vera, Sugar Sean, too. And that's going to make some fucking money. That'll sell. That could be a main event. That'll fucking do some numbers. And the UFC will not be mad about that. But let's hope Sugar Sean gets what he was told and gets the fight for the title. And for Pewter, I think the fight to make that would be potentially an all-time great fight, TJ Dillashaw, Pewter Jan, let's fucking go. And we got two more. We got two more motherfucking fights. Well, this one isn't as, um, you know, much fun to talk about because of what had displayed. But Aljamain Sterling got the second round TKO over TJ Dillashaw. And uh, obviously, you're not happy with how the fight turned out. It was a total bummer. If this fight would have had a healthy TJ Dillashaw, this could have been uh, a, a, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal card. I still rank it really high, but the potential with this, what this fight could have been, could have been amazing. The fact that TJ continued to show up for his fight with his shoulder popping out multiple times just shows how gritty and tough TJ Dillashaw is. He is a competitor. He'll do whatever it takes, a.k.a. EPO, to get the fucking dub, and you have to respect that. People say, oh, I think he should have pulled out the fight. You know, I don't think he should have fought. These guys are fighters. They start at wrestling, you know, in TJ's case, at wrestling at a a young age, and they're told to tough it out, figure it out, do what you got to do, never pass up an opportunity. You know, I I don't want to hear that out that cast that he ruined the division, this and that. No, fuck that. He probably honestly thought he could beat Aljo with with the you know one arm basically. But again, I think you gotta you know as tough as TJ was, this didn't even match the toughness that he had to beat Corey Sandhagen. He 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 fought multiple rounds against a very good Sandhagen with a completely shredded knee and got the dub. So I'm sure coming off that he figured he could figure it out. But the biggest problem here is that just like Henry Cejudo, 
Nobody will give the credit where it's due, and you have to give Aljo credit. Uh, he got the win. I don't think that... I don't know. I just don't think people realize how dominant Aljo was in a very short amount of time here. He was on his way to take TJ down, whether his arm was going to pop out or not. He was getting the takedown from a guy who is supposed to have better wrestling than him. And not only that, but, you know, for TJ's sake, he shouldn't allow Aljo to get the takedown. If we're talking D1 wrestling, Juco wrestling, D3 wrestling, whatever you want to say. But he got the takedown, his arm popped out. But the way even after he popped his shoulder back in, continued to fight, Aljo was dominating. Aljo dominates once he gets you down and takes your back. And he was making a wrestler look stupid down there. So we have to give Aljo those props. He was abusing him on the mat, and I did not expect that. That's why I thought TJ was going to cruise to victory. You know what's funny, though, is I don't care how good a wrestler you are. You're a freestyle wrestler. You're a folk-style wrestler. This isn't folk-style wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. This is MMA wrestling, and it's a different fucking game. Now, um, I just wish us fight fans had the opportunity to see a healthy Aljo and a healthy TJ, because I think that would be a fight for the ages, and that's something we'll probably never get to see. So, you know, it definitely, it definitely hurts me inside. But when we look at the stats... Aljo landed 148 total and 72 significant strikes um, with five takedowns and eight attempts. He had two submission attempts as well. And TJ only landed 13 total and eight significant strikes. So Aljo is now on a wild eight-fight winning streak. And I say wild because the knee, the comeback versus Pewter, this shit happens. It's just, it's been a crazy run. And TJ starts a new losing streak. TJ drops down three spots in the rankings to number five, and he now is one and one since his return from the EPO scandal. So supposedly, what's next? Aljo and Triple C, and you know, that's what I'm assuming. If not, it has to be O'Malley, in my opinion. And for TJ, I'd love to see him against Pewter Jan, or maybe we could get an old-school rematch of him and Dominic Cruz. I'm in either way. Either way, TJ's in an octagon. Aljo, Sean, Pewter, we're fucking tuning in. And then the main event of the evening. Islam is who they said he was. Who he said he was. And I was unsure. He was kind of like this anomaly. He hadn't really fought high-level competition. He got knocked out early in his days in the UFC. And I figured Charles would be able to figure it out. Um, but Islam got the second round submission over Charles Dubronx Oliveira. The best submission artist. The, the guy who's reigned terror on the division. And Islam obviously got the 50K Performance of the Night Award. Now, the fact that Islam is the only one that has beaten Khabib in a, in a round in practice in their gym, we, sh we should understand to what level he is. The fact that Dubronx landed the most significant strikes on Islam in his entire career, we'll get to the stats later, but was... 19 significant strikes. That's the most that anyone's gotten on Islam in a fight. These are the type of numbers that just speaks, I'm going to be here for a long time. He beats up people. He smothers people. He doesn't get hit. And what he has done in a short UFC career makes you wonder, can he ever, you know, when is he going to be beaten? 
Uh, he's only 30 years old, and he's going to be on a tear for a long time. But this fight was going to go one of two ways. The way it went down was Islam easy, easily able to grapple Charles, as they said he would. He smothered him, he tired him, and he submitted him. That's, that's the typical Dagestani way. And um, it was really complete, utter domination against a guy who has completely dominated the best talent in the division. Um, and, and, and I didn't think it would go that smoothly. Islam is the next Khabib and the only fighter in my mind who could beat him in the near future is Volkanovski. Um, Volkanovski has short legs. He's defended grappling. Is that grappling anywhere close to what Islam could do? Absolutely not. But he could fight in volume. He's an amazing striker. He's well-rounded. He's a tank. And uh, I, I really do think it's the only opportunity for someone to beat him. If Islam beats Volkanovski, he might as well go and try to be a fucking double champ, triple champ. Because it's going to be a minute. I thought Charles in this fight was going to be a lot better on the feet than Islam. And that wasn't even the case. Islam landed him with a clean fucking shot early and then he went to the grappling. Um, that, that was probably the biggest surprise for me in this fight. And what makes me feel like Islam's even that more deadly. Statistically, Islam landed 72 total and 30 significant strikes with two takedowns and three attempts. And he had a submission attempt and that knockdown. Compared to Charles' 25 total and 19 significant strikes, he was 0 for 1 in takedowns. And again, those 19 significant strikes were the most strikes ever landed against Islam in his career. Now, Islam is on an 11-fight winning streak. He moves to number 3 in the pound-for-pound pound rankings, unranked to number 3, only behind Volk and Izzy. He's fighting Volk. He wants the top for pound-for-pound. For pound. And we're going to learn really quickly if he deserves to be there or not. I've heard that, I, you know, I don't know if Islam can cut to 145 and take the featherweight. You know, if he beats Volk, I don't know if he could take the featherweight from Volk. But there is rumors he'd go up to 170 and fight, which could, which could really be interesting. Um, you know, that division may, may have some opportunities to beat Islam. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, technically Charles drops down to the Number one contender spot because he, he had lost his title to the weight cut issues in the last bout. So, I see Islam is Volk. It already seems like that's going to be done in Perth, Australia. Um, Islam's down to do it in enemy territory. He's that confident. Either way, fight fans, I can't fucking wait for that shit. But, I think for Charles, I want to see him versus Benil Dariush. Give Dariush the number one contender spot, and then the winner, he could potentially fight for the title finally. The problem is, now it's Islam Makachev. Here you go. Welcome to the title shot. Um, if it isn't Charles, though, how about Rafael Faziv? He's on his way. He's on his tear, on a tear. That would be a fun fight, too. <coughs> but what a card. Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi, all the hype. And my biggest takeaway is the Sugar Show and Islam Makhachev are going to be around for a long time. So you better put your money where, the, where it needs to go. And I hope you put money on Sean as an underdog. I got plus 240 odds. I'll take that bread. But this weekend, we have another Apex card, another fight night, Vegas 63, with a 4 p.m. Pacific main card start on ESPN+. Plus. They won't have it on ESPN Broadcasting because of college football. And we're going to break this down in the prelims. Um, 
a fight that we won't break down that's worth tuning into. We have Joseph Holmes versus Jung Yong Park. That should be fun, so I recommend tuning in. We're not going to break that down, though. We're going to start with the local PNWer, the guy from Enumclaw, where I partied on my going away weekend this past weekend. We got Chase the Dream Hooper, the 23-year-old fighter with an 11-2-1 record, taking on Steve Mean Machine Garcia, the 30-year-old fighter with a 12-5 record. Now, this is a young prospect versus a struggling vet. What intrigues me is just seeing the growth of Hooper as a striker. His ground game's crazy. He's got the length. He's got the size for the division. What can he grow into? And this fight's going to be a big step to learning what Chase can do. Chase is a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and Titan FC alum. He is on a one-fight winning streak, which was earlier in 2022. Five of his 11 wins are via submission and four of them via knockout. So nine of his 11 fights via finish. Now, Steve is going back to featherweight. He fought in lightweight. He fought in bantamweight all in the UFC. I don't know if he's just thinking this is the division he could stick in or, or what, what's going on there. But he trains out of Jackson's MMA. He's a Bellator, LFA, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, this is going to be interesting on the feet. I'm sure Hooper is going to try to mix it up in the octagon. He, he, his fights always go everywhere. But I'm going to go with the young gun. Uh, Steve is in desperation mode, so it, it may be an interesting scrap in a close one. But I'm taking Chase. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got the legend, Andre the Pitbull Orlovsky. The 43-year-old fighter with a 34-20 and 20 record taking on Marcos Pizal Rogerio de Lima, the 37-year-old fighter with a 19-9-1 record. Now, this is going to be a wild brawl. I don't see this going all three rounds. Andre, he trains at ATT, and he's got a lot on the list of accolades. So, he is an international master of sport and sambo. He is a former heavyweight champion. He's a Strikeforce Elite XC World Series of Fighter and M1 alum. He's the second most wins in the UFC history at 23. He's tied with Donald Cerrone. He's got the most wins in UFC heavyweight history with 23 and the most fights in UFC heavyweight history with 38. He has the most total fight time in UFC heavyweight history with over six hours. I think it's like six hours, nine minutes. He has the highest takedown defense in UFC heavyweight history with an 88.4% takedown defense. He has the most significant strikes landed in the UFC heavyweight history with 1,336. And he is the 2015 Comeback Fighter of the Year. He's on a four-fight winning streak. 17 of his 34 wins are via knockout. And 11 of his 20 losses are via knockout. Marcos is a black belt in BJJ. He trains out of America Top Team as well. He's a Strike Force alum, an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. He's on a one fight losing streak. 14 of his 19 wins are via knockout, and five of his eight losses are via submission. To me, it's pretty wild these guys have never matched up before in Strike Force or in the UFC. 
They're even teammates at American Top Team, so you know maybe that has something to play with it. When you see teammates fight, typically deep down, they know who the better striker is, and that some, one of those guys is very confident. They've had to have sparred before. They've had to have been on the ground and done some jiu-jitsu before. When you're training, sometimes there's guys that are just badasses in the gym and they don't perform. But these guys are legends. They're not afraid of the lights. So These guys deep down know who the winner is. Um, and, and that always makes things interesting. I like Arlovsky as a striker in this fight. But may, Lima may look to grapple him. I mean, if he does have success, he gets Arlovsky down and tires him. This could be an interesting fight. But the keyword is if or but. Even if, the, even if the situation is that Arlovsky gets taken down, he can get submissions from the bottom. Marcos looked really good in his last fight against uh, Blagoy Ivanov, even though he took an L. But uh, I'm one with the dog. Apparently, I didn't learn about taking dogs last weekend, even though I hit some. But I'm taking the pit bull. We're putting them on our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Phil, no hype Haas, the 33-year-old fighter with a 12-3 record, taking on Roman Delidzi, the 30-year-old fighter, 34-year-old fighter with a 10-1 record. This is going to be a fun fight. Two men in their primes looking to get in the top 15 rankings. They're going to do whatever it takes to get there. I thought Phil looked great in his last fight after suffering an unexpected loss against Chris Actionman Curtis, who kind of put the division on its head. But I believe he has really rounded out his game, but Roman is going to put his skills to test. Do not get that twisted at all. Phil has a wrestling background. He trains at a Sanford MMA, or Kill Cliff is what it's changed to now. He is a JUCO national champion out of Iowa Central Community College. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter, World Series of Fighting, Dana White Contender Series, and Bellator alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. Two of his three losses are also via knockout. To knock out or to be knocked out. Now, Roman is an Orthodox fighter. He trains out of Extreme Couture MMA. He is a World Warriors Fight Championship alum and former champion. He is on a uh, two-fight winning streak. Five of his ten wins are via knockout, and three of them via submission. So eight of his ten uh, wins are via finish. I think Armin's kickboxing is going to be the difference in this fight. Or not Armin, excuse me. Uh, Romans. I really like Phil, though. He can wrestle. He can put it anywhere on the mat. I think this is going to go all three rounds. It's going to be a bloody battle. And we're going to see who has the better, better cardio tank and who has the better conditioning. I'm taking no hype pause. I'm putting them on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. We got Dusk, Dustin the Hanyak Jacoby, 34 years old with an 18-5-1 record and the number 13 next to his name taking on Khalil the Workhorse Roundtree Jr., 32 years old with an 11-5 record. This is going to be a banger to start the main card. I do not expect this to go all three rounds and go to a decision. I, I mean, Jacoby's been on a roll since he's come back to the UFC, and Khalil has looked really good of late. 
This was a great matchup by the matchmakers. I think we'll see a kickboxing display and many massive shots, and it'll really come down who's more durable. Dustin, he's got a kickboxing background. He's an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Factory X Muay Thai. He was a Glory tournament winner, a Cage Fury alum and former champion, and he was also a Bellator, Titan FC, and World Series of Fighting alum. He is on an eight-fight winning streak. He had a draw in between, but I'll just keep his winning streak alive. And 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout. Khalil is a Southpaw fighter. He trains at a syndicate MMA. He is an Ultimate Fighter and RFA alum. He is on a two-fight winning streak. Seven of his 10 wins are via knockout. Now, as good as Khalil is with his kicks, I think Jacoby is just that much better. And I really do believe the time is now for Jacoby. He feels confident. He's looked good in his return to the UFC. For that reason, I'm taking Jacoby. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Trayshawn, Mr. Vicious Gore, the 28-year-old fighter with a 4-2 and two record, taking on Josh, the big yin's friend, 28 years old with a 9-4 and four record. We got some young bloods in this bout, but this is on the main card for a reason, and I think we're going to see a finish here. Trayshawn is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He is 0-2 in the UFC. He trains out of American Top Team. Josh is on a one-fight losing streak in his only UFC fight. He is a Bellator and LFA alum. Four of his nine wins are via knockout and three of them via submission. So seven of his nine fights via finish. I think Trayshawn was sought highly out of the Ultimate Fighter. You know, they're they giving him a lot of clout. He's had a tough go so far in the UFC. But I, le I believe we'll see the best gore because we have to. He's got to get a win to stay in the UFC. I really don't have the confidence to put this on the parlay, but for picks reason, I'm taking Mr. Vicious and we're going to take him for the picks. Should be a fun one though. And then we get Waldo Salsa Boy Cortez Acosta, the 31-year-old fighter with an undefeated 7-0 record, taking on Jared the Mountain Vandera, the 30-year-old fighter with a 12-9 record. Now, this should be another finish in line as we get the big dogs. And Waldo is making his, his debut from the Contender Series, and that fight didn't last long. And we haven't, haven't seen him take a defeat unless it was in boxing, but he hasn't had an MMA, MMA loss. Waldo is an LFA, Bellator, and Dana White Contender Series alum, and four of his seven wins are via knockout. Jared, he trains at a Dan Hendo's gym. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an LFA, King of the Cage, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He was a Smash Global and Extreme Fighting uh, Championship alum and former champion. He's on a four-fight losing streak. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. This is pretty much a boxer versus a dirty boxer, so to speak. A guy that likes to grapple, weigh on you, put you in the clinch, wear on you on the cage. And Jared needs a win, man. He's got four losses in a row. If he wants to stay with the UFC, he's got to find a way. But he's got to stay out of danger. Waldo has some serious fucking power. Uh, he can throw some smoke. He's going to have to do what he does. Put him up against the cage. Look to get a takedown. 
empty that gas tank. But I do think Waldo's going to find the spot here. I'm not putting it on a parlay, but I'm taking Waldo for the picks. And then in the co-main event, we got some savvy veterans. We get Tim the Dirty Bird Means, the 38-year-old fighter with a 32-13-1 record, taking on Max Payne Griffin, 36 years old with an 18-9 record. And this is going to be a wild scrap against Wiley Vets. I think it could be a back-and-forth affair that is going to come down to the wire. Tim is a King of the Cage alum and a former champion. He is a legacy FC alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was Kevin Holland earlier this summer. 19 of his 32 wins are via knockout. Six of his 13 losses are via submission. And he has a two and a half inch leg reach advantage. Now, Max has a first degree black belt in kickboxing, a black belt in Bak Fu. He is a former alum and champion in the West Coast Fighting Championship and Tachi Palace fight. He's on a one fight losing streak, which was to a very talented Neil Magny by split decision. He almost fucked up my parlay that week. And nine of his 18 wins are via knockout. I really thought Max, the last few fights, has looked really good. The win against a, uh, another veteran in Carlos Condit, even in the loss against Neil Magny, he fought and pushed him to his limits. I've gone back and forth with picks here. I'm willing to take... Uh, I'm going to take Max Griffin, but I am not putting him on my parlay. I had Tim, Tim Means highlighted here. I didn't switch it. But I am taking Max, avoiding it on the parlay. Another tough fight, but the main event of which this card was formed, we have Calvin Cater, the 34-year-old fighter with a 23-6 and uh, record and the number five next to his name, taking on Arnold Allen, the 28-year-old fighter with an 18-1 and record and the number six next to his name. Now, this is a true banger and a true striking affair and I can't wait to see how it's, it's played out. The card was really meant around this fight. I think this is a big step up in competition for Allen, but he has, has made his opponents just look like slight work, man. I mean, Calvin, he's got a boxing background. He trains out of the New England cartel. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He has His last three fights have been fight of the night's. He, he performs, he shows out. They're usually great, great fan favorite fights. And 11 of his 23 wins are via knockout. Arnold, he's got a purple belt in BJJ. He is on an 11 fight winning streak. And six of his 18 wins are via knockout. I really think that Cater has been in more battles and has fought better competition. I think he's more experienced. But man... Can Arnold throw some fucking heat? The win over Sadiq Youssef really got me on to Arnold Allen. But then the knockout over Dan Hooker blew me away. I mean, sheesh. Cater's been in some battles of late. He's taken some damage. And I really am afraid that he won't be able to take the power shots that Arnold can deliver. This is a brutal pick to take. But I'm taking Arnold. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. 
but more fights, more weekends. We're, we're knocking them out. We're getting to the end of the year. We got some good cards coming up. Coming up next Saturday, when I'll officially be in the desert, we have a deep apex card with a 4 p.m. Pacific main card start on ESPN Plus as well. And this is headlined by Amanda Limo, Lemos and Marina Rodriguez. That is going to be a scrap. But that's episode 106. We're almost to Arizona. We got a lot of fun things coming. We'll see you next week.